Welcome again to Open Link in New Tab, where we follow the hyperlinks stemming from one creative and curiosity-driven article to another. So today we are starting with attachment therapy, which I heard about in a recent Hidden Brain podcast, and it kind of got me curious as to what it is. So attachment therapy is a controversial category of alternate child mental health interventions intended to treat attachment disorders. The term generally includes accompanying parenting techniques. Other names or particular techniques include the evergreen model, holding time, rage reduction, compression therapy, rebirthing, corrective attachment therapy, and coercive restraint therapy. It is found primarily in the United States and much of it is centered in about a dozen clinics around Evergreen, Colorado, where Foster Klein, one of the founders, established his clinic in the 1970s. This article describes this particular set of interventions, although in clinical literature the term attachment therapy is sometimes used loosely to mean any intervention based on attachment therapy, particularly outside the U.S. Attachment therapy, as described in this article, should not be confused with other schools of therapy which are more empirically based and which aim to address problems stemming from disrupted attachment to caregivers. Um, so I'm looking at uh, what are um, following the hyperlink of attachment theory opens up attachment disorder. So attachment disorder is a broad term intended to describe disorders of mood, behavior, and social relationships arising from a failure to form natural attachments to primary caregiving figures in early childhood. Such a failure would result from unusual early experiences of neglect, abuse, abrupt separation from caregivers between six months and three years of age, frequent change or excessive number of caregivers, or lack of caregiver responsiveness to child communicative efforts resulting in a lack of basic trust. A person's attachment style is permanently established before the age of three. A problematic history of social relationships occurring after about age three may be distressing to a child, but does not result in attachment disorder. Um, there is no hyperlink to attachment style, which I would have liked to know more about. The term attachment disorder is used to describe emotional and behavioral problems of young children and also applied to school-aged children, teenagers, and adults. The specific difficulties implied depend on the age of the individual being assessed. Now, going back to attachment theory, and I'm clicking on attachment to caregivers which opens up uh, a subplot of foster care interventions. Attachment and Biobehavioral Catch-Ups, ABC. This is an intervention program aimed at infants who have experienced early adverse and dis care and disruptions in care. It aims to provide specialized help for foster carers in recognition of the fact that a young child placed in foster care has to deal with the loss of attachment figures at a time when maintaining contact with attachment figures is vital. It targets key issues, 
providing nurturance for infants when the carers are not comfortable providing nurturance, overriding tendencies to respond in kind to infant behaviors, and providing a predictable interpersonal environment. It is essentially a training program for surrogate caregivers. It has four main components based on four propositions. One, providing nurturance when it does not come naturally. Based on findings that foster children's attachments are disproportionately likely to be disorganized and foster mothers with an unresolved or dismissing state of mind were likely to have children with disorganized attachments, the interpretation is that foster children have difficulty organizing their attachment systems unless they have nurturing foster carers. The goal is to help foster parents provide nurturing care even if they are non-autonomous with regard to their own attachment status. Two, infants in foster care often fail to elicit nurturance. Foster carers tend to respond in kind to infants' behavior. If foster infants behave in an, in an avoidant or resistant manner, foster carers may act as if the infant does not need them. The goal is to train foster carers to act in a nurturing manner even in the absence of cues from the infant. Three, infants in foster care are often dysregulated at physiological, behavioral, and emotional levels. Foster children often show an atypical production of the stress hormone cortisol. It is not established whether this is significant for increased risk for later disorders, but very high or low levels are associated with psychopathology in adults. The goal here is to help foster parents follow the child's lead and become more responsive social patterns. Um, first, I'm gonna look up psychopathology and then I am going to go back and look up cortisol because I'm interested in that. Psychopathology is the scientific study of mental disorders including efforts to understand their genetic, biological, physiological, and social causes, develop classification schemes, nosology, which can improve treatment planning and treatment outcomes, understand the course of psychiatric illness across all stages of development, more fully understand the manifestations of mental disorders, and investigate potentially effective treatments. Okay, that makes sense. So it's just pathology, but psychopathology. Uh, going back and looking up cortisol. So cortisol is a steroid hormone. When used as a medication, it is known as hydrocortisone. It is produced in humans, in, released in response to stress and low blood, close, blood glucose concentration, which I will be looking up as I'm interested in that. It functions to increase blood sugar through glucogenesis to suppress the immune system and to aid in the metabolism of fat, protein, and carbohydrates. It also decreases in bone formation. So interesting uh, mix there. Health effects. Metabolic response. In the early fasting state, cortisol stimulates glucogenesis, the formation of glucose, and activates anti-stress and anti-inflammatory pathways. Cortisol also plays an important but indirect role in liver and muscle glycogenesis, 
the breaking down of glycogen to glucose 1-phosphate and glucose. This is done through its passive influence on glucagon. Additional, cortisol facilitates the activation of glycogen phosphorylase, which is necessary for the endophrine to have an effect on glycogenesis. In the late fasting state, the function of cortisol changes slightly and increases glycogenesis. This response allows the liver to take up glucose not being used by the peripheral tissue and turn it into liver glycogen stores to be used if the body moves into the starvation state. Elevated levels of cortisol, if prolonged, can lead to a breakdown of proteins and muscle wasting. Several studies have shown that cortisol can have lipolytic effect and promote the breakdown of fat. Under some conditions, however, cortisol may somewhat suppress lipolysis. Under immune response, cortisol prevents the release of substances in the body that can cause inflammation. It is used to treat conditions resulting from overactivity of the B-cell-mediated antibody response. Examples include inflammatory and rheumatoid diseases as well as allergies. Low-potency hydrocortisone, available as non-prescription medicine in some countries, is used to treat skin problems such as rashes and eczema. Cortisol can weaken the activity on the immune system. It prevents proliferation of T-cells by rendering them unresponsive and, able, and unable to produce the T-cell growth factor. It also has negative feedback effect on interleukin. Um, earlier, when it was talking about uh, blood glucose concentration, and as a type 1 diabetic, I'm interested in that, so blood sugar level is what that hyperlinks to. The blood sugar level, blood sugar concentration, or blood glucose level is the amount of glucose present in the blood of humans and other animals. Glucose is a simple sugar and approximately four grams of glucose are present in the blood of a 70 kilogram or 150 pound human at all times. The blood tightly regulates blood glucose levels as a part of metabolic homeostasis. Glucose is stored in skeletal muscle and liver cells in the form of glycogen. In fasted individuals, blood glucose is maintained at a constant level at the expense of glycogen stores in the liver and skeletal muscle. In humans, a blood glucose level of four grams, or about a teaspoon, is critical for normal function in a number of tissues, and the human brain consumes approximately 60% of blood glu glucose in fasted sedentary individuals. A persistent elevation in blood glucose levels leads to glucose toxicity, which contributes to cell dysfunction and the pathology grouped together as complications of diabetes. Glucose can be transported from the intestines or liver to other tissues in the body via the bloodstream. Cellular glucose uptake is primarily regulated by insulin, a hormone produced in the pancreas. Mine doesn't work, guys. Glucose levels are usually lowest in the morning before the first meal of the day and rise after meals for an hour or two by a few millimoles. 
Never heard that. Millimole links to molar concentration uh, units. In the international system of units, the base unit for molar concentration is mole divided by m uh, squared. However, this is impractical for most laboratory purposes, and most chemical literature traditionally uses mole by dm squared, which is the same as mole by L. These traditional units are often denoted by the letter capital M, optionally preceded by an SI prefix as needed to denote submultiples. That was not very helpful, but the International System of Units, SI, abbreviated from the French System International, is the modern form of the metric system and is the most widely used system of measurement. It comprises of a coherent system of units of measurement built on seven base units, which are the ampere, kevin, second, meter, kilogram, candela, mole, and a set of 20 prefixes to the unit names and unit symbols that may be used when specifying multiples and fractions of the units. The system also specifies names for 22 derived units, such as lumen and watt, for other physical qualities. The base units are derived from invariant constants of nature, such as the speed of light in vacuum and the triple point of water, which can be observed and measured with great accuracy, and one physical artifact. The artifact is the International Prototype Kilogram, certified in 1889, and consisting of a cylinder of platinum iridium, which nominally has the same mass as one liter of water at the freezing point. Its stability has been a matter of significant concern, culminating in a revision of the definition of the base units entirely in terms of constants of nature, scheduled to be put into effect on the 20th of May, 2019. Thank you for spending some time with me today as we went from attachment theory to psychopathology to cortisol and blood sugar which led us all the way to the international system of units. I'll talk to you next time on OpenLink in New Tab.